This is not psychotherapy. Dr. Wills does not have a provider-patient relationship with this guest. These are just two people talking about emotions. Welcome to Give a F*** Actually with your host, Dr. Alex Wills. Welcome to another episode of Give a F Actually with Dr. Alex Wills. Today, I'm joined by Christiane Zhu-Salm, and I'm very happy to have her on board today. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me, Alex. I have a brief intro, and then I'll let you add anything if you'd like to. She is a mental health counselor, a trained end-of-life caretaker, author, speaker, creator, and the host of the podcast, before it's too late. A former media executive for MTV Networks and IAC, and also served as a senior advisor to JP Morgan. She uh, teaches today leaders with burnout, inner emptiness, or stuckness, how to create a more fulfilled and meaningful life with diminished regrets. Anything that you wanted to add to that? Well, that's pretty comprehensive already. Thank you for that uh, intro, um, Dr. Wills. In fact, my life journey has been quite transformational from being a media executive in the international media world, always very business focused, into um, end of life care, and then from there into becoming a coach. So um, there's nothing much to add, um, just that I'm really happy to be on your podcast today because um, I've always been on a quest on how to um, better regulate or deal with my emotions in order to be living a life more in alignment with myself. So I'm very curious. And thank you, yeah, for be, being willing to come on to this sort of experiment of a podcast and to neither one of us knows exactly where it's going to go. Uh, but I thank you for your openness and willingness to participate. <laughs> Great. I love experiments. I first met you when you were gracious enough to have me on your podcast before it's too late. How is, how is your podcast going these days and any news about what's happening there? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was very happy to have you as a guest uh, when your book has been launched. Um, It's going really well. You know, I am actually interviewing people how they found the courage to um, lead a life more in alignment with their authentic self. And before it's too late, because as an end-of-life caretaker, um, a job that I've been doings for more than 10 years, you know, I've met so many people who at the end of their lives, when it was in fact too late, could not uh, align their inner and outer lives anymore. And this is why I am collecting, collecting stories in that podcast of all sorts, it's actually fascinating how different and how large the variety of approaches to um, living a truthful life are. And it's going actually really well. That's great. And then I heard in your uh, more extensive bio, you were the first uh, female executive for MTV in Europe. 
yes, that's correct. Um, I was absolutely not expecting a call from a headhunter when I was 30 years old. Um, who was offering me the job to become managing director of MTV Central Europe. And at the time, it's over 20 years ago now, but still uh, at the time it was exceptional because we in Germany not aren't as far down the road with uh, female executives um, as in the U.S. So it was a big um, surprise uh, for everybody um, that I came on to do that job, yeah. That's great. How did you get interested in the work for end of life care? Uh, was there anything personal that drew you to it? Uh, and, and how has that been for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, in fact, um, you know, I was leading this glamorous life, red carpet life, all international film and media events, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then after I became mother, of two wonderful daughters, I think some inner voice became louder and louder inside of me. It wasn't overnight that I woke up one morning and said to myself, now I want to leave the media world and um, want to become an end-of-life caretaker. It's not like another hobby you want to pursue, you know, become, become a painter or uh, learning chess or whatever. Um, it was rather an inner voice calling me over a couple of years, actually, um, telling me to look further into how it really is when human beings are at the very end of their lives. And why is that? Um, when I was a little, a young girl, almost six years old, I witnessed how my little brother died in front of my eyes. Um, it was at home, at our home, and he drowned in um, the swimming pool my parents proudly had built in our garden. And as you can imagine, this has been a truly traumatic event. Uh, it was a shock mm. trauma. Um, and interestingly enough, still today, I remember this day. It was a Sunday. And I remember the weather. I remember what dress I wore. I remember how my hair was done. I mm. remember everything from that day. It's so fascinating how these events are ingrained in your brain seemingly forever. Right. And, right. And so at the time on that day, I experienced that life can be over in a blink of an eye. And I'm saying that um, very consciously because there's a difference whether you hear about these things. Unfortunately, we hear about these events almost every day when somebody by, dies by an accident. However, if you experience something like that, witness it within your family or with loved ones, it's a completely different thing. And obviously in the first half of my life, although 
what what kind of saying is that? I never know whether it is what what is, <laughs> you never know what what's half of your life. But what I'm saying right. is through my through my adolescence, through my um, you know college time, career, um, it was it, it never really um, had an um, a very um, a, a big space and in, in my life. Of course, I knew about it, but we, in our family, we never talked about it. So it must have been suppressed at, at hmm. some dark corner inside of me. And only after be I became a mother, um, as I said, and I was in my early 40s, all of a sudden, no, not all of a sudden, gradually, it became louder and louder and louder inside of me the the desire to somehow process this and this is the answer to your question what drew me really to end of life care hmm. that's such a deep story what what is it like right now to to recount that and to and to you know think about it at this point for you hmm. it's a good question um i think you know I have really, I managed to create a lot of meaning from this loss in terms of leading a much more conscious and um, grateful and fulfilled life um, that I try to give meaning every single day. Because I did experience that loss, right? And I did experience that um, nothing has been granted in life. And in fact, um, I know that something like that can happen every day. Yeah. However, what I have not yet managed to fully integrate, and here your expertise will be very helpful is in all the things that come around that came around it for example that my parents never spoke to me about this loss mm -hmm. they felt ultimately ashamed especially my mother felt ultimately ashamed and guilty which is of course understandable if something like that happens i think it's the worst thing that can happen to a mother to lose their child through an accident and as much as i understand these emotions of my parents the impact it had on me is a very very challenging relationship especially with my mother mm -hmm. in terms of the feel of being completely neglected as a child with my very own needs. Right. Yeah. And that is not yet, even though it's decades later now, but that still needs attention in terms of doing the emotional work. Right. Yeah, that's, that's really heavy and you articulate it so well. And you're right how 
remarkable it is, these traumatic events, we can have these memories seared into our minds. You remember how your hair was done and exactly what you were wearing. I'm sure you remember everything about that day. What emotions come up for you right now when you kind of go into those memories and kind of fill into that space? If you could just name them without explaining why for you. Okay. Um, I feel right now, I feel um, neglected, not seen, um, not loved. Um, not being allowed to have my own needs. Um, yeah, that, mm. that's what I feel. And, and I feel sadness around, around it. And I feel loneliness also. Mm. Yeah. It sounds uh, like there's a, a lot of, you know, pain, pain in those emotions as, as I guess one would expect. Yes. You know? Yes. And I wonder whether this pain will ever fully go away or whether it comes back in waves and at different levels. I don't know. By the way, I believe it's a German author. There's a book called The Drama of the Gifted Child. Have you heard of that? Oh, yes, of course. Alice Miller. Alice yeah. Miller, yeah. It, yeah, it just sort of echoes back. It's a exploration of sort of the emotions and mourning and, and the grief of being raised by a, a caregiver that was not not nearly a ideal caregiver so to speak yes oh that book as that's it's great that you're mentioning this book because indeed um that very much um, resonated with me and and my own story and she actually helps acknowledge um those emotions you know that are so invisible. That is a, a pain that can, I think, only be understood by therapists like you and by people who also experience this. And there are so, so many. Otherwise, her books would have never become so successful, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I believe I do give her credit uh, as one of the influences in the, in the back of my book, because she talks about, if I remember correctly, the enlightened witness or the conscientious witness. And as a, as a psychotherapist, that is a role that we can help play by helping somebody talk about the, the grief, the trauma, the neglect that they experienced in their childhood. And as the enlightened witness, we can serve the function of validating the painful emotional experience that the person went through that was really not seen at the time and perhaps never has been because it's something that we don't really jump to talk about as the first thing when we're meeting people. 
Yeah, exactly. That is so true. And you know what what keeps um, sticking around in my mind is really the invisibility of these warners. Mm. Um, yeah, right? As opposed to um, if somebody attacked you and then you can show some scars on your arm or body somewhere, right? But mm -hmm. these invisible wounds and scars that sit somewhere in your soul, in your heart, in your nervous system, um, what they really do with you and what, what the impact really is, also the long-term impact, right? We're talking about this now, even though I experienced all this, as I said, as a little girl, right? And, um, but that is something that's really, really, um, uh, how should I say, that interests me. Mm -hmm. uh, how we, yeah, can create spaces in which we can um, better talk about them. And as you said, getting them validated. And this is why I think your method that you have developed is fantastic because that's exactly it, isn't it? Right? That's the safe space where you can also not only validate, validate these emotion, emotions, but also transform them. Right. And I wanted to take these pearls of wisdom from Alice Miller and others and try to popularize them to really make them more accessible to folks because a lot of these things have been the things that have changed my patients' lives, my life, my, my friends and family. And these, these are sort of hard-fought pearls of wisdom. It took years to appreciate and to, and to really uh, get sort of the healing and to, to help people get there faster, I guess, is the goal. Yeah, and um, this is exactly why I invited you on my podcast, because I was fascinated by the method. And um, um, yeah, may, maybe you can at this point explain again um, how you had the idea to develop a really tangible method that could, you, could, could be popularized. Yeah. It's really simply where the rubber meets the road. As a psychotherapist, I think we're trying to help the theories, the psychobabble, uh, the, all of these um, psychotherapeutic modalities and techniques. They mean nothing if they're not helping people, if they're not really uh, being able to be applied in people's lives. And so out of the desire to make these concepts more accessible and more real, I wanted to give people sort of the, you know, fi five-step tool to, to get there uh, without having to necessarily spend years uh, wandering around in the, in the valley of confusion. And what we're doing with this podcast and even in real time with you right now is looking at those things and, and sort of applying them. And what, what you've already done, uh, I just wanted to note how how much it's moved me, you know, hearing this first about your mom 
and your dad having the strong emotions of feeling ashamed and guilty and even the their uh step number four act on the fuck or act on the emotion was to not talk about it to mm. to pretend it didn't happen to try to hide and you know maybe fix or deal with the shame or make it go away by if we just ignore it for enough years it will just go away and then yes. your yes. emotions of feeling neglected not seen not loved which culminated in you know some deep sadness loneliness and and this picture of these invisibility of the wounds you know even even though this happened when you were a, a little girl it's something that is you know still with you and and you still care very deeply about and i think you know for for most folks listening out there it it really just awakens empathy that you're courageous enough to talk about it and for for me to try to imagine what it must be like to have experienced that i i also have a lot of sadness and uh compassion um i i it it awakens that that painful emotion of loneliness you know, for, from my own, you know, experiences. So I just want mm -hmm. to highlight how powerful it is when you just simply, you just made me aware of your emotions by simply naming them. And that's so powerful just right there. Uh, Dr. Wills, thank you so much for pro providing this space. It does so good <laughs> just alone to be able to talk about it and telling it somebody who uh, compassionately is listening and um, with the willingness also to help um, process it, process these emotions and, and provide tools how to live with them not suppressing them like my mother did. In fact, she was even proud. She still is today even proud to, to not having mentioned anything, you know? Right. And, and uh, yeah. And um, so, um, yeah. No, so I'm really happy to be right here, right now, talking with you about it. And I want to go into, so that was, you know, basically step two, which is to name the fuck or name the emotions. And going into step three, I wanted to maybe start with the emotions that she experienced, your mother, the shame, the guilt, and look to see how those so-called negative, painful, or bad emotions are actually very good emotions and how things may have been different. And then we could go into uh, your emotions of what you had and continue to have experienced, the emotions of sadness, loneliness, and that, that sort of, I don't know, a good emotional word to describe that sense of like invisibility, you know, just mm. uh, wounded, hurt, and yet maybe people are not, they don't really value or believe because they can't, you know, see it. It's not very obvious, right? Right. I think invisibility of the ones, that's a very 
accurate um, way to to um, to yes way to explain this emotion. I am envious of uh, German because there's so many wonderful words that describe very you know particular emotions like Schadenfreude that or mm-hmm. Wanderlust. They they describe this like really great emotional state that's very very specific and just perfect that nothing else can describe. And in English, we struggle to uh, have such precision. Oh, yeah. You as an expert on emotions of all kinds, <laughs> um, I'm sure you, you will like the German language. Absolutely. <laughs> but it is so powerful. Neurologically, you know, we see an fMRI of our amygdala. And when you, you name that correct emotion, when, when you like nail it, when you when you speak the exact emotion you're feeling, even if you don't know why you're having that, you see uh, remarkable changes from a very busy, frenzied state to a very calm state in real time. So there's a lot of uh, neurological, you know, scientific application, and it's really cool to see how all of the science comes together with it. Oh my God, that's so interesting. That is so interesting. These are all scientific um, um, findings that um, we didn't have 20 years ago, right? Yeah, it's it's really neat to see how things are progressing. So going into your mom's emotion of uh, shame and guilt, step three, listen to the fuck. Thinking about the wisdom, what is the emotion teaching us? What If the emotion's not bad, uh, obviously if your child dies in a horrible accident, you're supposed to have a lot of painful emotions, sadness, shame, guilt. These emotions just naturally happen. We have no say or control. They're just naturally letting us know that something very significant happened. And if these emotions are not bad, and she should have experienced the shame and guilt in the intensity that she had them, what, what good do you think they, they are? How could she have maybe learned from them? What were they telling her at the time, do you think? Well, that's a very deep existential question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, maybe what comes to mind is that um, the feel of the feeling of guilt, the emotion of guilt, um, maybe could have taught her that we are all trying our best, mm. at least most of us, right? We are all trying our best in every single moment. Right. And the emotion of guilt is, is, to my mind, one of the worst emotions because um, it's there connected to this emotion of it's, it's my fault. So mm. I have created this accident. And it, it, I guess it could have taught her that it's, it was not her guilt. It was not her fault. She. Uh, yes, of course, there was this moment when she could have watched my little brother better, 
the moment when he walked from the house in the garden, nobody noticing and so on. But, but it, that doesn't make her guilty. Mm -hmm. And so maybe this emotion of guilt could have taught her, um, yeah, to say she, next time she should watch better. That's too low for me. That's not, I think, what, um, you know, I rather want to <clears throat> want to think about how to really transform this emotion of guilt, which is very, very heavy, into something more discharging, like, like mm -hmm. she didn't do that intentionally. Right. Right. I think that brings up a really important point, which is to separate the pure emotion from the story. So, mm. yes, this happened, and inevitably there's intense, painful guilt. How could there not be? And the story that we automatically go to is, oh, it's my fault, or I'm a bad mother, I failed. I, I can never be forgiven. I, I have to live the rest of my life, uh, you know, worrying about what people think and so on. And so a big key is separating out that emotion and validating it. Say, yes, the guilt, absolutely, it makes sense. Yet the, the story that we believe about it is often toxic. It's not helpful. It's not adaptive. And we have to question and use cognitive behavioral therapy to uh, disbelieve the, the stories that are not really helpful. You know, if, if the story is that, oh, it's my fault, and every time I have this emotion of guilt or shame, it's a reminder that it, it's my fault and I am a failure, or I'm bad or whatever, then all of a sudden we're using the emotions against ourselves instead of realizing that the emotion is not supporting that narrative. And we get to creatively try to learn like, okay, every time that I have this memory, I still have that painful guilt and, and I should. It's something so horrific, you know, you're, you're never going to get over, you know, I don't know if we, we should get over something like that. I, mm -hmm. I remember when, you know, my, one of my best friends passed away at a young age. And every time I think about him, I still have some intense sadness come up and I could be, I could easily get teary if I, if I stayed in that space, but I don't think that's a bad thing. That's not a problem because I think it's reflective of how much uh, we love the person, how much we miss them and how, how tragic it was. It's, it's a part of life. And if we're trying to defeat that, if we're trying to fix that, mm. if we're trying to get rid of that part of life, then we're really in a battle with reality. We're in a battle with our own uh, sense of emotion. And that's why people get stuck. Like, you know, you describe your, your mom of even being proud. She, she never spoke <laughs> of it. And she, she took this as like a, this sort of stoic uh, trophy, you know, like I, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and she lived her her life with that story, and and she maybe it, it was so horrific for her that she just couldn't even 
consciously see how damaging it was to you, the, you know, her child that was alive and needing her, you know. Right, right. Oh, that's so true what you said. She definitely um, um, <clears throat> used this behavior as her sole model for survival. And um, <clears throat> I'm aware of that, um, that she, yeah, she just needed to do that in order to survive. Right. Just that... I'm not sure whether she ever will get her head around how damaging it really was to to me and also to my, to my siblings. Yeah. Right. And that and that's the consequence not of emotions, but that's the consequence of buying into a toxic story and and believing that the story is true and that the emotions support or are evidence that that story is true. I think just the pure emotions of the guilt and the shame, when I put myself into to her shoes, I, I imagine, you know, I think of shame as this fiery ball of pain that makes your face turn red and makes your body become hot. It's very intense and it's trying to get our attention. And it's not about who we are it's not about our worth or value as a person but instead what if it's about our relationship to others our relationship to society our relationship to a situation and the purpose of that emotion is to get us to pay attention so that we can take a very serious look at what happened what went wrong and and how we can use that truth to to make the best decisions navigating forward well this is so so powerful um what you say this is um i can learn so much from that um, especially when you say detach from the toxic story mm. that's really really powerful and can I ask at this point when you say like um um, how we can use that emotion that, that or what what's it, what its its real purpose is in terms of getting our attention um, what does it mean in terms of do do i do I need to practice that or is it a one time aha moment This is the part where I get to say i don't know. But the answer, I think, is curiosity, which I, I give credit to internal family systems, the work of Dr. Richard Schwartz. And when you look at this emotion with curiosity, I don't know if anybody, you know, has the right to tell you what the answer is. But we do know that the emotion is true. We know that the shame is true. We know that it's painful and powerful. We know that the guilt is true. And then we get to learn from it. We get to tune into our own emotion with curiosity. And we get to try to figure out how is it trying to help us? If, if the guilt and the shame, oh my goodness, you already lost your child in a horrific accident. Is the guilt and the shame just there to torture you and to make you feel worse? Don't you feel bad enough? Or <laughs> is the shame and the guilt actually there to help you? Why, why do we have this as humans? How how are these emotions there to serve us? 
And when we can tune into that, then we can start to work with it and, and learn how these emotions are actually our friends. They're, they're good. They're, they're there to help in some way. And it's up to us to figure that out with uh, maybe talking to others, with our own curiosity, uh, with our own creativity. Mm. Yeah, for, for, for some, this will be hard work because society also has certain expectations of how we have to feel uh, mm. if something like that happened happens. I remember a friend um, whose um, uh, friends um, whose son commi committed suicide, and mm. then I read in an, in a People's magazine a couple of weeks after this event that she got blamed for laughing at a party mm. and, and being very happy and um, being, but coming across as a, as a happy person. And <laughs> then she got blamed for that mm. in that people's magazine. How can she possibly be in a good, be, have good vibes and laugh um, after she just lost uh, her son? You know? So right. do you, what do you think about, um, society's role and um, uh, expectations when it comes down to your message. Right. That's, you know, really interesting. People will often, you know, assume people should act in a certain way when, when something bad happens. And it, we're all in sort of, I guess, traditionally, we're in this sort of battle with emotional suppression and people are trying to cope as best as they can. You know, common techniques that people use, the defense mechanisms such as humor, altruism, intellectualization, rationalization, and more primitive ones as well, denial. They make us act in funny ways. <laughs> the, the more we're trying to make an art of depressing emotions and not giving a fuck, the more we end up acting kind of in an incongruent way. So it's not uncommon to, you know, see, see these things. And I'm trying to help, you know, offer a better way by helping people tune into what those emotions are so that they can have a better relationship with their own emotions and, and learn from them. So cool. How, how are you? Checking in with you right now, um, how are you feeling uh, now, you know, we're sort of talking about this issue. Uh, do you notice any emotions coming up for you in the moment? Where, what are you kind of at right now? Yeah, thanks for asking. Actually notice that I'm feeling much lighter at this very moment. Mm. I do not feel sad. I um, do not feel uh like um pain i don't feel any pain um uh, i feel like how should i say i feel lighter and i feel that there is a way in fact how to really deal with these painful emotions we all have in one or the other way and intensity yeah. right and mm. now that you just also said that 
humor or altruism. Altruism are just other forms of how to suppressing our emotions. Isn't that what you say? Right. Right. That's very, very um, enlightening uh, to me or illuminating because um, I wasn't even aware um, about that before. And it really shows that giving a fuck actually <laughs> is the, the most powerful way to also bring alignment with your nervous system. Because mm -hmm. right now I feel in my body, I feel like I'm not like this red balloon you were talking about when you were talking about shame. And I don't feel, I don't sweat or I don't feel somehow intensified in any emotional direction. I Just the opposite. I feel actually like um, Lear. Yeah, that's the bird. Purifying. Mm -hmm. I feel purified. Beautiful. I'm, I'm really happy. And you articulate these things so well. And, and you're really on point with, you know, the focus on, on emotions. You know, a, a fun fact, uh, Anna Freud, uh, Sigmund Freud's daughter, gave him the gift for his birthday of the defense mechanisms. She had studied and, you know, figured out what the common defense mechanisms were. So it's a really interesting way that we, you know, and we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because the defense mechanisms can be essential and life-saving in the heat of the moment. But when we turn the defense mechanisms into a way of life, then we're continually habitually suppressing our emotions forever. And that's when it can become very unhealthy. And mm -hmm. the neurological uh, component that you mentioned, uh, the scientific sort of way that having this emotional validation brings us back to neurological health. It helps to change our hormonal, neurological hormonal axis. It helps to bring us back into alignment. Whereas when we're living in a constant state of gaslighting ourselves by trying to tell ourselves that we need to deal with our emotions or work through the emotions or fix them or suppress them or not give a fuck or get rid of them, we're constantly creating a state of unrest where we're telling ourselves that we didn't see what we saw. We shouldn't feel how we felt. We didn't hear what we heard. And I, I shouldn't have this emotion of shame because it hurts. You know, it's like saying, I, I shouldn't hurt when somebody shoots me in the leg with an arrow. It's, it doesn't make any sense. We have to accept that some things are painful and it's, it's good because they should be. They're trying to help us with that pain sometimes. Wow. Wow. I'm learning so much. And, and also, I really did not know about Anna Froge's um, birthday gift to her father. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for elaborating on what it does to your health, really, if you do not um, look into this um, properly, into your emotions. So and helpful. I'm so excited and glad that you are experiencing feeling lighter and feeling uh, clear and, and purified because when we, when we follow these simple steps, we get to the place where the emotions can do what they're supposed to do. The shame, the guilt, the sadness, the loneliness, 
it's not there to torture us forever. Unless we try to suppress it and fix it, then it will persist. And when we simply acknowledge it, we feel the pain, we feel the depth, we feel the intensity, we talk to somebody about it, we express it. Then we go back to a state of peace and rest because the emotion has served its purpose. And now you are cognitively aware of what the truth is from your emotional sense, your emotional radar or whatever. And you do notice that you go back to this state of peace, even in the midst of mourning, in the midst of grief, in the midst of emotional pain, because the emotions have served what they need to do for you. Yes. And if I may add that, when you say you, it helps you this method to uh, your method to come to peace. It also helps eventually with forgiveness. Mm. Right. Uh, right. And when you are stuck with these, around these emotions, um, with whatever happens around pain and guilt and blaming, but then always tell yourself, no, no, you cannot blame your mother. You cannot blame your father. They, they didn't know it any better, etc. You know, all these thoughts that are going on inside of you, right? And, and also how we deal with our children, by the way. Um, then eventually, if you manage to come to peace within yourself in that process, um, at least for me, it helps much better to truly forgive my mother, for example, or my father. Right. And that's such a great connection to the, the question of forgiveness. My patients get hung up on quite a lot. And there's sort of this, you know, goal of, well, I need to forgive them. I need to truly forgive them. I need to forgive myself. And what I find with the radical emotional acceptance is that the question of forgiveness becomes really secondary because when you are just validating the truth of what emotions you have, say that you experienced uh, abuse from somebody and you had a lot of emotional trauma, emotional pain, and you validate the depth and the intensity of those emotions and how horribly painful and intense they've made you feel, then you you come to a place of peace and truth because you should feel the emotional pain that you're feeling. Now, the question of forgiveness, the question of, you know, what, what does forgiveness even mean? It's really kind of a philosophical idea. You know, can we really even forgive somebody or not? Maybe the right decision is to never see this person again because they're dangerous. You know, maybe it's good to hold something against them because they, they could present a threat to you. Perhaps it is good to reconcile somehow. But all of that, just you're no longer hung up on it. You no longer have to forgive or not forgive or reconcile or whatever in order to be okay. Because you have the complete power to be okay just by validating your emotional truth. You're no longer dependent on the abuser or the uh, neglector, the, the situation to be emotionally okay. As long as you're, you're stuck in that thing where I need to forgive or whatever, then they still have power over you and they, they can still continue to hurt you because you're somehow giving them power to uh, feel what emotions you want to feel instead of 
just accepting you have the emotions that you do have and they're exactly right and you don't need anybody's permission to uh, validate them and to learn from them completely on your own. Yeah, so that that's that's just what an self-empowerment um, your method provides, really. Because that's the most important shift, I guess. Um, taking the power um, back to you instead of being hung, hung up. Oh my God, I've been hung up for years and years with all sorts of people in my life. Believe <laughs> me, <laughs> my parents, my um, husbands <laughs> um, and um, co-workers and um, um, yeah. So, but it's never too late, actually, um, <laughs> to learn uh, from you. So, um, I will also definitely deploy, if you don't mind, your wonderful method in my coachings, which are about inner and outer alignment mm -hmm. before it's too late. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. And finally, the, the emotions you brought up feeling the when you think about the past feeling the sadness and loneliness what do you feel like those emotions are there for to uh to show you to teach you how how are those painful emotions uh there to actually help you do you think mm. uh, well the loneliness and sadness um are helping me um to Again, to detach the story from my self-worth. So I no longer need to be sad that my mother didn't love me the way I would have definitely needed it at the time. Right. Um, because I am lovable mm -hmm. no matter what my parents um, decided to how to treat me or how to not treat me. And um, I think in that detachment from the narrative and the trauma and the experiences and the memories um, lies the true power then to um, building your self-worth and building self-respect and self-love and all these things. So... Yeah, I think that's the teachings of these emotions for me. And and as you talk about that, I feel closer to you. I feel more connected because I I'm sad with you. I I imagine you know what you've gone through. I I can sense and and to feel that sadness if I imagine what it must, you know, be like as well as the loneliness. And so being sad and lonely with empathy with you, then you're no longer alone in that. You're no longer invisible. And in fact, you, you've spoken and, you know, touched me deeply because it touches on some of my own, you know, deep emotional pain and memories. And I, I don't feel so alone with that too. So it's quite, quite powerful just to uh, express that we all have this sort of uh, woundedness in one way or another and we can connect on that level like we're doing today oh 
Alex, that is so wonderful. Thank you so much for this gift of um, showing that you feel connected to me now after this conversation as I do to you. And again, this is the most wonderful counter experience, if you want, towards loneliness is the feel of connectedness. Yeah. And the flip side of these painful emotions is a desire for connection, intimacy, love, trust, compatibility, uh, unconditional love. And so these painful emotions are also tuning us into our unmet emotional needs. So we can see they're helping us in that way too. In that, um, at this point, I would be really curious to learn what you think about unmet needs and the continuous need then for somebody to meet them. Uh, some, not, not, not few therapists and coaches always say, you know, give it all to yourself for that you are not a person in need. Because if you come across needy, you will never get your needs fulfilled. <laughs> um, so what do you think about these unmet needs as, um, as the flip side of these emotions, like sadness, loneliness, as you said? And what's then the next step there in terms of, yeah, what do I do then with this unmet <laughs> need? <laughs> right. And that gets us, you know, right into step four, which is act on the fuck or act on the emotion or sometimes not to act. You don't really need to do anything. I, I like to frame it in the way of creatively pursuing getting those needs met. I have a lot of patients that are getting their emotional needs met in a toxic, abusive relationship. And it's hard for them to separate that. They do want love. They do want connection. They do want intimacy. But they don't have to be stuck getting it from this abusive person. And how can they creatively get those needs met with a partner that is safe and trustworthy and so on? So again, I don't offer any answers other than to tune people into their own emotional radar their own emotional desires, and then encourage them to creatively pursue them. And folks don't really need a lot of counseling or advice at that point. They can creatively move towards that in their own adventure, which is, you know, making life a lot more enjoyable. Mm, interesting. So by acting on that, on, on what, 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 this, uh, what the emotion taught you, Mm -hmm. um, you're saying you, uh, people with, will, um, eventually, um, get more aligned with their authentic self, right? Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. So that's what I'm going to do then. <laughs> <laughs> and I love you. It's a good note to end on because you, you started off by Uh, saying that ultimately you you felt grateful because of what you've you know learned uh, by going through this adversity, and of course the the last step of radical emotional acceptance is to thank the fuck or to have gratitude for these painful emotions. And so I think that you you helped demonstrate very well how 
there is a lot to be thankful for, how these painful emotions are actually helping you, helping us. They've helped me a lot today. And so I'm very grateful for you. I'm grateful for your time and your authenticity, the willingness and courage to talk about these vulnerable things, I guess, on air <laughs> is, you know, I'm very, very grateful for it. I do believe it will help a lot of people. So thank you. Ah, oh, Alex, thank you so much for providing the space. That's actually the first time that I ever spoke about that. So mm. here you can see how good it feels to me to speak with you. And thank you so much for coming up with that method and your book and your podcast. I've been really happy to having been your guest and it will definitely help me. And I'm sure your approach will help many, many people. That's exactly what our distorted times would need right now. We have to become human again. And <laughs> I think that's exactly what you help people become. Well, you as well. It's so wonderful to be able to meet you. And I hope we can talk again soon. Thank you so much for coming on today. Hey guys, thanks for watching. This is Dr. Alex Wills with Give a F Actually. Make sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for watching. Make sure to check out the merch store. RadicalEmotionalAcceptance.com Bye. Bye.